0: When it comes to a discussion of the Holy Spirit, we have our work cut out for us, and for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is that in order to talk about the Holy Spirit, we have to broach the subject of the doctrine of God, our doctrine of God, theology. Theos is the Greek word for God, and ology just means study, biology, psychology, so on and so forth. So it's the study of God, theology. We have to broach this subject. And whenever you enter a discussion of the doctrine of God, or you talk about theology, things must be handled very carefully. And here's one big reason why. Any discussion about God must also include a discussion about the Trinity. The Trinity. And the Trinity is perhaps one of the most misunderstood doctrines in all the Bible. On top of that, the Holy Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, is perhaps the most misunderstood member of the Trinity. So we have our work cut out for us. So are you ready? We're going to begin here and we're going to build. So one of my favorite theologians, Dr. James White, he's here in town actually, he defines the Trinity this way, within the one being, that is God, there exists eternally three co-equal, co-eternal persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, when discussing the Trinity, it's important that we keep clear in our mind two things, two words, and it's simply this, what and who. What and who? In other words, when speaking about God, there is one what. That is substance or essence. There's just one God, and he is one substance. Not two substances, not three substances, just one substance. And yet within that one substance, there is three who's. Now you might think, well, isn't that contradictory? Not necessarily, no, not at all. It would be contradictory if I said there was one substance and yet three substances. Or one person and three persons, but we're not saying that. We're saying there's one substance and three persons within that one substance. There is just one being that is called God. This is called monotheism. Mono meaning one, theism, there's that Greek word again, theos, theology, monotheism. We believe in only one God. So as Christians, we believe in one God who exists uh, in three persons, namely the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, granted, this is a bit mysterious. Nevertheless, it's the clear teaching of Scripture, as you're gonna see, and it's the orthodox understanding of God down through church history. Now, let me give you one big reason this is so important. If you mess up your doctrine of God, you're gonna mess up the gospel. Guaranteed. Every Christian cult who has God wrong gets the gospel wrong. That's why if anybody ever knocks on your door and they wanna talk to you about God, simply ask them, do you believe in the Trinity? And if the answer is no, you can bet everything that's going to come after that is going to be wrong. Now, it is possible to have your doctrine of the Trinity right and still not agree on the gospel. And a perfect example of that is the difference between Catholics and Protestants. So a Catholic, and I, and I don't mean this, I just want to point out the difference. I'm not shaming anybody. But a Catholic will say, I'm saved by my faith. I'm saved by, my, by grace through faith in Christ. I'm saved by grace through faith in Christ. <laughs> Those things make it possible for me to go to heaven. As I cooperate, as I stay in the church and I take the sacraments and I do what I'm supposed to do, I grow in my justification. And hopefully at the end of my life, I go straight to heaven. If not, I might go to purgatory where I'll suffer for a while or be cleansed of any impurities and then I'll go to heaven. The Protestant says, no, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's nothing I do to contribute to my justification. I'm fully justified by my faith in Jesus. Amen? Yeah. That's the difference. That is why I say, if anybody can say this prayer, uh, it is, it is um, Protestants. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake, I know the Lord my soul will take. Why do I know the Lord will take my soul when I die? Because I'm saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. He did everything I need to be saved. But here's my point. I don't say that to shame Catholics because I just want you to understand the difference. You either, Jesus makes you savable over here. If you're a Catholic, he did, he died for you. You're saved by grace. You need grace. You need Jesus to die for you and you need faith but those you cooperate with that in order to get justified the protestant says there's no cooperation jesus did everything he did everything but here's my point is you can get the, the doctrine of the trinity right and still disagree on what the gospel is so it's incredibly important that we get our doctrine of god right john 4:24 god is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth we have to know God in truth. Now, granted, the doctrine of the Trinity is a bit mysterious. As a matter of fact, that there is a bit of mystery in the doctrine of the Trinity should be expected. God is God. Amen? We're, we're finite people. We're finite people, and we're talking about an infinite God. The late, great Dr. R.C. Sproul said this about the Trinity. It boggles the mind to think of a being who is absolutely one in his essence— yet three in persons. There's the difference between essence and person, substance and persons. There's one essence, one substance, that is God, and three persons within that one essence. Thus, when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we would say this. The Holy Spirit is fully God in substance, but distinct in person. Now, this is important. The Holy Spirit is not one-third of the substance, he is fully God in substance, just as the Son is fully God in substance, just as the Father is fully God in substance. You don't have three pieces of the substance. There is only one substance. So when we speak about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will say they are fully God in substance. You guys with me? But when we speak of the personhood, we speak of a distinction. They are distinct in person. What this means is that it is proper to speak of the Holy Spirit As God. He is fully divine. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can worship the Holy Spirit. Now, this will have ramifications as we work through this sermon series. Yet, at the same time, it is also proper to see the Holy Spirit as distinct from both the Father and Son in personhood. See, there's all sorts of crazy views of the Trinity out there. Let me give you one. It's called modalism. Modalism is the idea um, that God, there's one God, but not three persons. There's one God and one person. And so God wears different masks, if you will, at different times. He's kind of like an actor on a stage. early Early in the play, he comes and he's wearing one outfit. In the Old Testament, he revealed himself as God the Father. But then he took off that garment, and then in the New Testament, he reveals himself as God the Son, and he puts on a new garment. And then in the church age, he takes off that garment and he is now the Holy Spirit. He puts on a new, and this is called modalism. It's as if God works at different modes at different times, but that is an inaccurate view of God. There's not one God in one person. There's one God in three persons. And this is big because we see Jesus praying to God, the father. How does that happen in modalism? It doesn't, but it does happen when you have a correct view of God. So this has ramifications. Now, as I already said, not only is the Trinity perhaps the most misunderstood or one of the most misunderstood doctrines of the Bible, on top of that, the Holy Spirit is perhaps the most misunderstood member of the Trinity. Now, that's somewhat ironic, given that the Holy Spirit plays a huge role from Genesis to Revelation. He's everywhere. He's in creation. The Spirit Spirit of the Lord hovered above the waters. He's everywhere in the Bible. And specifically within the life of the New Testament church, just how prominent is the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church? I quoted this verse a couple of weeks ago talking about the new covenant. The new covenant prophesied through the book of Ezekiel says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Now, in the Old Testament, there's debate among theologians about how did the Holy Spirit rest upon or abide in Old Testament believers, Abraham, David, and so on and so forth. And the reason I say that there's debate is because we see David saying things like this, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. And so theologians debate, did the Holy Spirit just come upon believers or did he reside in them like he does in the New Testament believer? Because of this, we're sure, if you are part of the New Covenant church, which you are, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Now, here's the point. You would think that there wouldn't be a lot of confusion about the person who permanently indwells each and every one of us, but there is. There is. Of all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is often easy to overlook. Why is that? Why is that? Well, perhaps the reason for so much misunderstanding is because the Holy Spirit is the one person within the the divine trinity who always seems to be working behind the scenes. Now, I have a question to ask you, and I blew it on the Saturday night service, because I said, I asked the Saturday night service, how many of you are the type of people that like working behind the scenes, not realizing that the people that like to work behind the scenes aren't going to raise their hand? So all the non all the people that like to work behind the scenes keep your hands down. Everybody else raise your hands, okay? I'm curious. No, serious. Okay, just for the sake of it, I'm going to ask the behind the scenes people just to be bold here. If you're a behind the scenes type of person, I'm not I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you're a behind the scenes type of person. Yeah, we got them everywhere. Praise God. If you are a behind the scenes type of person, then you know you are the type of people that do a ton of work, probably most of the work. You know, I'm the preacher. I get to be up here I'm the mouth of this congregation and people it's like, oh, Pastor Bill, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, if you knew how much work everyone else did, you would marvel. You are the type of people that do a ton of work but don't always get the recognition or credit you deserve. And perhaps you don't want that. But here's the point: the behind-the-scenes work of the Holy Spirit is what led the late great J.I. Packer to describe the Trinity or the, the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. <laughs> the shy member of the Trinity. Now, of course. The Holy Spirit isn't shy in any way, shape, or form. That wasn't um, J.I. Packer's point. His point was simply this the seemingly quiet, behind the scenes type of work that the Holy Spirit carries out on a daily basis can easily cause us to overlook Him, underappreciate Him, and misunderstand Him. I do it all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm so focused. I want Jesus to come back, don't you? But I'm so focused on the second person of the divine trinity coming back that I often ignore the third person of the trinity who resides in my heart. I'm like, I can't wait to see you even though I'm ignoring you. (laughs) Right? Don't laugh at me. You do the same thing. I know you do. Because we all are like that. But here's the deal. To truly appreciate just how significant the Holy Spirit is and how much we should desire to know him, and how much affection and attention we should shower upon him every day, can be found in something Jesus said that is absolutely mind-boggling. So church, it is my honor to take us to the word of God today. We'll be in John chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses one through seven. Hear the word of God this morning, and you are going to, it's not on this screen, it's on the next one, the next slide, because But listen to what Jesus has to say about the Holy Spirit. It is incredible. I have said all these things to you, the disciples, to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes and they are doing these things, you will remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? It's kind of like the disciple. Jesus is kind of saying, you guys don't even care where I'm going. You haven't even asked. You're not even concerned about this. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now listen to this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Amen. Church, hear the word of God this morning. It seems almost inconceivable, even borderline blasphemous, that there could be a scenario better than having Jesus on earth. I mean, if Jesus were here right now and he said to all of us, hey, by the way, I'm going to leave for a while and it's to your advantage, how many of you would believe it? I'd go, no way. There cannot be a scenario better, Jesus, than having you here with us in our presence. You've got to be kidding me. There's something better than this? Can't be. Can't be. But according to Jesus' own words, it is to their advantage that he leave because when he departs, the helper will arrive. Now, this helper, this helper We're introduced to him here, but not the disciples. The disciples had heard about him before. Jesus had talked about this with his disciples before. Let's go back two chapters. We're in John 16. Let's go back to John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. And what does that word say? Forever. Even the spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive, but it neither, because it neither sees him, nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The fulfillment of Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. He will be in you. John, now just go down a few verses from this. In John 14, we read this. These things I have spoken to you While I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, I want you to notice the Trinity is in this verse. It's everywhere. These things I, Jesus, have spoken to you while I was still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, will come, whom the Father will send. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is everywhere in the Bible. Now, this word helper comes from the Greek word, oh, here, one more, John 15, that was John 14, John 15 says this, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are packed into that verse. Now, the Greek word for helper is the word paraclete, paraclete, not parakeet, okay? (laughs) Now, the reason I say that is because every time you hear the the word parakeet from now on, you're going to think of the paraclete, right? The paraclete. And paraclete simply means a helper, a counselor, comforter, one who comes alongside of another. And I think that's a beautiful description of the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. You have someone in your life, and here's the key, who has been sent to you to offer, and here's the kicker, supernatural help counsel, and comfort. What you and I have access to, the world can only dream about. The world, the people of this world are dying for help, counsel, and comfort. But unfortunately, they have to look to the things of this world. You and I don't. And we don't have to look far because he resides within. We have somebody in our lives, in our hearts to give us supernatural help, counsel, and comfort. Listen, if the world understood what you and I know in what we have, they would be beating down the doors of this church to get in. That is what we have supernatural help, counsel, and comfort. And here's why that is so incredibly important. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he was personally able to offer to his disciples help, comfort, and counsel, supernatural. But he was about to return to the Father, having completed the work that he was given to do. Jesus was sent for a specific purpose. And when he fulfilled that, it was time to go back to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This was the high priestly prayer of John, John chapter 17. And of course, when Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. I did the work that you sent me to do, and I'm going to return to you. Just one problem. If Jesus was going to return to the Father, Be seated at the right hand of the Father in all glory, who would provide the help, comfort, and counsel the disciples needed moving forward? Now, there's one other problem we have to deal with. Jesus had told the disciples that the kingdom of God that he was starting and introducing through them was going to start incredibly small. It's going to start with Jesus and then his 12 disciples. But then he said, it's going to explode, it's going to explode. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and uh, sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that all the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. In other words, what I have started amongst you is about to explode. It's going to go global. Who would provide the help, comfort, and counsel as the church began to burst at the seams? It wasn't just the 12 disciples that we needed to be concerned about anymore. There were going to be millions upon millions, if not billions, of people coming to faith. What about them? Enter the Holy Spirit. Enter the Holy Spirit. With the arrival of the Holy Spirit, not only would the disciples have the supernatural help, comfort, and counsel they needed, they would have it in a way that was actually, believe it or not, to their advantage. To their advantage, just as Jesus had said. You see, the Holy Spirit would be able to minister in a way that the incarnate Christ couldn't. Incarnate simply means we talk about Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. His incarnation is when he took on human flesh. Folks, the second person of the divine trinity took on human flesh. And here's the kicker, for all eternity, he will forever be in his glorified body in in the ages to come. We're gonna see Jesus in his glorified body. But with that body while he was on earth, came limitations. He only had so much time to teach the people. He could only be in so many places. I think in Mark chapter one, remember Jesus went away to a quiet place where he prayed and then Peter found him and he said, everyone's looking for you. And you know what Jesus says? Let's go to the next city because I need to preach the gospel there. And it's like, no, Jesus, everybody here is looking for you. And Jesus is like, that might be the case, but I have limited time and I'm going to preach to the next city. That is why I have come. But here's the deal. With the Holy Spirit, he would not be limited in such way. Why? Because he was not going to take on human flesh. He was going to enter it. Your life and mine. The Holy Spirit could carry out the work and on the work that the incarnate Christ had started, but on a scale that was truly unlimited. Not only would the Spirit's work be unlimited, his presence would be unceasing. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus were on earth right now, What do you think it would take for you to get an appointment with him? (laughs) Yeah. Good luck on that one, right? Good luck on that one. Let me ask you a question. If you want to talk to the Holy Spirit right now, is he available to you? Darn right he is. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days residing in your heart. He's that close to you and to me. And again, do we long for Jesus to come back? You bet, and we should. The Bible says that, that is our great hope, for the second person of the divine trinity to return. But I don't want to be so focused on that that I forget this, that God has given me this great gift, the Holy Spirit to reside within, to give me supernatural, out of this world, not of this world, divine help, counsel, and comfort. If the world only knew what you and I had access to, again, they would be beating down the doors of this church, beating down the doors of your home, seeking you out wherever you are to tell, so that you could tell, they would say, tell me what you know so that I can have what you have. Remember in the Old Testament, I I said there's debate about if the Holy Spirit came upon people and left them? Well, we know this for certain. That's not the case in the New Testament. He's here to dwell among us permanently. We might say it this way, just as the Son of God came to dwell among us, Emmanuel, God with us, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. Now, why does any of this matter? Let me give you one reason this matters. The Apostle Paul commanded us to do this. But as for you, O man of God, O woman of God, flee these things. Now these things he had just listed before it. It's a bunch of wicked things. Flee the wickedness of the world. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Here it is. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, if you are a believer then you know what I know. There is nothing necessarily easy about fighting the good fight of faith. Do I hear an amen? Amen. It is hard to walk the narrow road. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many are on it. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Few find it. Walking that narrow road can be lonely and it can be hard and sacrificial. There's nothing easy about fighting the good fight of faith. Look at what the verse says. Not only are we to reject the things of this world, we are to proactively pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And we are to do this in a world that is going to hate us for pursuing these things. And if you need proof of that, just look at the world that we live in. Folks, if you are someone that is standing up for what is right and good and godly in this generation, you are now an enemy of the forces that are at work in our culture today. Do I hear an amen? Amen. You understand that. This meeting right here. Those of you that are watching online, you are rebels. You are. Your rebel forces against Babylon. Babylon is raging out there. Babylon the Great is raging. It hates you. It hates me. And it is rearing its head like it has never before. Many of us, perhaps all of us in this generation, have not seen Babylon rage this much since World War II. World War II was, I think, the last time that Babylon really reared its head. It went quiet. Babylon's raging again. You're the enemy. You are. Why? Because you are pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Folks, we—if the world we're living in is brutal. If you need proof of that, go online. It's brutal. We are standing opposed to everything that Babylon is standing for. The world is going to hate us for it, and yet we're called to do this. There's nothing easy about it. I know Christians in this, in this church that have lost their jobs for standing up what, for what is right and good over the last three to four or five years in this country, who have suffered, who have been estranged from family members for making good, God, godly, and uh, right decisions. As a matter of fact, in John 15 and 16, where Jesus promises the helper, we just looked at those, do you realize that when he promised the helper, it was in, in two of those contexts, it was in the context of suffering. They will put you out of the synagogues. They will hate you. They will kill you and think they're doing a favor to God. But I will send you the helper. When Babylon is raging and the world hates you and you're suffering for your faith, know this, I have sent the helper to you so that you can stand strong, persevere, and be the person that I have called you to be in the generation in which I set your feet, which happens to be the 21st century. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. No other generation of believers could fathom the world that you and I live in. They couldn't. Because there was no electricity, trains, planes, automobiles, internet, nuclear weapons that we could travel around the world and say something here and have a go around the world in seconds. None of that existed. And I'm not saying it was not hard in the generation in which they live, but it is unique in this generation. And the pressures bearing down on you and me as Christians now and in the future, who knows what's going to happen. It's a reminder that fighting that good fight of faith, there's nothing easy about it, Folks. Folks, the one huge reason that any of this matters to you is this. You are never alone in fighting that good fight of faith. You are never alone. Many of us would long, we go, Jesus, I would love you to have you at my side 24 hours a day to walk with me as I fight that good fight of faith. Folks, you have that. It's not Jesus. You have the third person of the divine trinity who's not just beside you, but in you. And not just to offer you some help, supernatural help, some comfort, but supernatural comfort, some counsel, but supernatural counsel. He will bring things to mind that will come directly from God the Father to you through his word. He will enlighten your path. He will counsel you and comfort you in ways that you cannot find in this world. Even when what this world is offering you is suffering. That fills me, you know what that fills me with? Hope. Hope. You want to know? I look at the world and my heart sinks. <laughs> it does. It's like, you're kidding me. Are we this messed up? I mean, are you guys with me as a world kind of messed up right now? Uh, I may look out there and my heart may sink, but I'm filled with hope because of who resides within. Listen, the battle might be fierce, but the advantage is all ours. We have somebody in our lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year to offer us what the world cannot. You know what I find fascinating? I said it. We're so fixated on Jesus coming back as we should. This is our great hope to see the second person of the divine Trinity return in glory. But I don't want to forget the one that dwells within me daily. I know me. And I'll be the first to tell you, I am not wise enough, strong enough, or capable enough to go it alone, especially in the generation that we're living. It's tough. And yet my fear is that I too often ignore the very one who is ever present to help me every step of the way. You know this verse, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. That is the world. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in you the world. Here's the good news. You might look, watch the news later today, and you're going to look at Babylon. Babylon's going to be raging, and your heart's going to sink. Don't be worried. Be filled with hope. Why? Because whatever going out there is going on out there, I can tell you what's going on in here. Greater is he that is in here, here than what's going on out there. Amen? And as bad as that might get, God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is in you to help you persevere against that. And folks, that should give us hope. You want to know why? There's hope for culture. If the church will be courageous and be the people that we called, God has called us to be in this generation, a light to this generation. And here's the key. He hasn't called us to be courageous in this generation alone. We have supernatural help to help us and to counsel us and to comfort us as we fight against Babylon. As that rage is out there, the one in here is going to light a fire so that we're bold and courageous and we do what we're called to do in this generation. Folks, whatever you do, remember you are pilgrims passing through. This world is not your home. Set your sight on what is to come and be sold out for that, amen? Your feet were set in this generation for such a time as this. It is time for the church to be bold, but we're not gonna do it alone. We're gonna do it in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. What does this look like? Here's what it looks like. Many of you are going to relate to what I'm about to say. When you wake up in the middle of the night and your heart is racing with anxiety, ever been there? Oh yeah. You wake up and you're just, you're overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. We have all been there. It's the middle of the night and it's one of the loneliest times on earth. When that happens, but the peace of God suddenly washes over you, allowing you to experience supernatural, incredible peace. And you don't know where it comes from. Guess where it comes from? That is the Holy Spirit being your comforter. The world doesn't have access to that. The non-believer that wakes up in the middle of the night and is overcome with anxiety has to stand there alone. You don't. I don't. We can say, Lord, your peace that surpasses all understanding, let it come upon me. And when it does, that is the Holy Spirit at work in your life, giving you what this world cannot. When the path forward seems dark, because this world is evil. And we're all looking at the future going, it looks pretty dark out there. God, give us wisdom. And the Spirit of God takes the word of God to illuminate your path so that you make good decisions as whatever is about to unfold unfolds. Folks, that is the Holy Spirit being your counselor. He takes the word of God and lights your path. My, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is lighting the word of God as uh, a lamp for you. When you're seeking to fight off temptation that is seeking to cause you to stumble, you find yourself able to persevere in a way that you couldn't by yourself. That is the Holy Spirit being your helper. Listen, folks, the times in which we are living might be tough. That is no reason to be discouraged. You be filled with hope. You be filled with hope because you have what the world does not have dwelling in you. Giving you supernatural power, strength, comfort, encouragement as you need it, when you need it, so that you can walk the walk that God has called you in this generation. Here's the key. Lean into the one who indwells your heart. As this sermon series starts, I hope all of us fall in love with the Holy Spirit in a way that we haven't before. And by the way, it is proper. You can, you know, we often say you pray to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. But it is proper to pray to the Holy Spirit and worship the Holy Spirit, just as it is proper to pray to the Son and and worship the Son, just as it is proper to pray to the Father and worship the Father. You can worship the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Let his name be on your lips. Let your prayers be filled with prayers to him. So I finished with a challenge today, and the challenge is simply this. This is an interesting challenge. I really want you guys to think about this, okay? A lot of times I put challenges and questions up here, and it's da-da-da-da. You can you blow them off. But this one I want you to think about. So you do blow them off. I knew it. I knew it. Look back over the past month and see if you can identify the ways the Holy Spirit supernaturally helped you, comforted you, and counseled you. You might be surprised. It's crazy to think that as I look back over the last month that he was there helping me and I might not even have even recognized it. I don't want to do that. I want to recognize when the Holy Spirit is there ministering to me and working in me. So the challenge is, as you go home, as you go through this week, just go, Lord, where did you show? Holy Spirit, where did you show up this past month and I didn't see it? And see what he reveals to you. See what he reveals to you. You know why? Because when we become good at recognizing what he's done, we'll become good at recognizing when he's doing it. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys, I'm excited for this sermon series. Are you? Are you? It's going to be awesome. Don't miss next week because we're going to launch into some more stuff. It's a, it's really powerful. It's really awesome. Hey.